you that we can gather in your name. Thank you that we're free to worship you. Lord, I pray you'd bless this service. Teach us something through your word. Lord, I pray you'd confirm to our hearts the word of God, that it will be powerful and that we'll go out and live it this week. Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, Pastor Montoro and family as they're uh, at Peter's wedding. Bless us here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Take your Bible this evening, and we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And if you do like to take notes, you're welcome to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I've been teaching a series in our church called Pastoring Ourselves from 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. And uh, I'm going to use one of the messages from that called Marks of Maturity. 2nd Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses uh, 16 and 17. That way I can see you a little better. Uh, My wife, Leslie, was playing the piano tonight. Leslie, if you would stand up. This is my daughter, Kara, and my daughter, Joyana. And turn around. They don't want to see the back of your head, okay? Thank you. You can see that my brother has 12 and I have two. It's not even close. And so be praying for Peter and uh, uh, especially be praying for Ashley since she's marrying Peter. And just uh, be praying for them. And we're excited for the family and excited for my brother. And uh, I'm excited to be here tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now take your Bible and turn over to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John and chapter 4. We're going to use the Bible a lot tonight, so keep your Bible out. And uh, if you're interested in the the outline or the references, I'll leave that here. I usually have an uh, uh, outline written out and references. I believe it's important that you make your case by the book. The Bible's what's important tonight. And I'm going to uh, ask you occasionally, I don't know if, if uh, Pastor Montoro has you talk back to him, but occasionally I'm going to ask you questions. I like to know people aren't sleeping while I'm preaching. And so I'm going to ask you to help me out here a little bit occasionally when we talk about it. First John chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, as uh, you and I were children, as we were growing up, One of the marks of physical maturity is when your teeth started coming out. Do you remember that? As a child, you couldn't wait till uh, your first tooth came out and then more teeth came out. And and pretty soon you had to have your wisdom teeth taken out and and, uh, different things. How many of you, when you were growing up, your parents put a mark on the wall to mark your physical growth as far as maturity? Anybody like that? They... uh, you know, uh, my brother and I always compared ourselves to each other. We'd Pete and I would stand back to back and, you know, get up on our tiptoes and, and try to see who was... He was always taller. He had me in the, the tallness thing, and, and uh, we played sports. We were competitive together. 
but marks of growing up. There are marks of maturity, if you will. There are marks of maturity, I believe, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that help us discern, are we growing spiritually? And by the way, when a, a baby's born, everybody loves a baby, don't they? Uh, a baby can... Uh, uh, they can be the prettiest thing or they can be the ugliest thing and everybody says they're pretty. Everybody loves a baby. However, if the baby stays a baby, beyond a certain period of time, we get concerned for that baby, do we not? Because it's not showing signs of growth. And you know it's that way in our spiritual life. There ought to be signs, marks of maturity in our spiritual life. I'm afraid in the day and time that you and I live in, there's a lot of spiritual immaturity out there. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, uh, marks of spiritual maturity. We want to make sure, uh, as it says there in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is given. We understand that the Word of God is the final authority. Is everybody with me on that? It's the Word of God that's the final authority. I get so uh, uh, weary as a pastor of people uh, uh, calling themselves a pastor, standing up and using one Bible verse, and then going on to tell stories or talk about politics or patriotism. Now, I'm for patriotism, but patriotism does not come before the Word of God. And uh, when a preacher stands up and gives one verse and goes on to talk about everything but the Word of God, there's something wrong with that. That is not spiritual maturity. There is no depth to that. Now, the flip side of that coin is when uh, uh, I know pastors that stand up and they'll go through the Greek and the Hebrew and, and they'll go through every part of the alphabet and they'll parse everything out, making people feel like that they're not mature enough to understand the Word of God on their own. Can I tell you something tonight? If you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, John chapter 16 says, He will teach you all truth. All the pastor does is reinforce what the Word of God's already teaching. And we need some Christians that say, hey, I'm going to take that Christianity to the next level. I want to make sure that I'm growing. My dad had three sons, my older brother Pete, me and my younger brother, and he said the way to keep three boys out of trouble was to have gardens. And he had gardens like you would not believe. And uh, my brothers and I worked in the gardens all summer long while other kids were playing baseball. You can ask my wife. We celebrated 24 years of marriage this past week. I haven't grown one garden in 24 years. Not one. Now, I learned a lot of character lessons. My dad taught us a ton of character growing gardens. But I haven't grown one. When I can go down to the corner store and get a can of beans for 69 cents, bless God, I'm not growing a garden. I'm not weeding anymore. But I want to tell you this. When we planted a garden, our family had an expectation of receiving from that garden. When God plants within your heart the seed of the Word of God and it brings forth fruit unto salvation... God expects some return on his investment. 
We, I, I, when we grew a garden, every time we planted one kernel of corn, we got a stalk of corn. We took care of that corn. We got at least two to three ears. And they say that each uh, cob of corn has about 360 kernels on it. Now, that's a pretty good return on the investment of growth. Would you agree with that? Do you think God expects any less than that from a Christian? If, if that is a natural law that God gives us, a natural example that God gives us, don't you expect or, or think that God would expect some maturity in Christians? 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us, and, and, and by the way, uh, all you see on uh, a television or hear on radio today is if you don't have a lot of numbers, you're not successful. That's not, you know, success by what the world standard is. Can I ask you how many people were on the ark with Noah? How many? Eight. There was seven in Noah. There were eight. Now, Noah preached the gospel for a hundred years, and he had no converts outside of his family. But I want to tell you tonight, I think Noah was pretty successful. He survived. The rest of them perished. Hey, listen... Jeremiah in the Old Testament, don't measure your success in your Christian life by somebody else's growth. And don't measure your church by uh, some church down the street. Whenever you're preaching the Word of God, plus nothing, minus nothing, it's God's job to build the church. It's not our success philosophies of today. It's not the psychology, pop psychology that's taught in churches today. It's the word of God plus nothing, minus nothing. Do you know when Jeremiah stood up to preach? Do you know how many people attended Jeremiah's services? Zero. Nobody did. Jeremiah went back and said, Lord, why did you call me to preach if nobody's going to show up? And you know, I'm glad a few people showed up tonight. We appreciate that as pastors. But listen, maturity or success in the Christian life is not based on numeric size. It's not based on knowledge. It's based on the Word of God. Uh, uh, Isaiah tells us, line upon line, precept upon precept. And that's where we want to uh, start tonight and where we want to finish tonight. By the way, people also departed from Jesus, did they not? When he was crucified, how many people were with him? They all forsook him. Only John was at the cross, if we read the Bible correctly, and a few of the ladies were there. But I want to say to each one of us tonight, instead of looking at somebody else's Christian walk, Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight, and just like those lines were drawn on the wall, I want to look at four simple truths, and maybe we can measure a little bit about where our spiritual life is going. Number one in our outline uh, tonight, I want you to look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. I believe it teaches this, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days, what kind of times are going to come? Perilous times, the Bible says. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves. All you have to do is get on the subway around here to find out men are lovers of their own selves. You know, uh, we, we went to a few places today on the subway, and I had ladies knocking me down to get in the subway. Uh, people are so busy trying to get somewhere that there's no more common courtesy left. I'm glad there's some folks in this church that are not lovers of themselves, but are lovers of the Word of God because you took time on Thursday night to come to a Bible study. That's important. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Boy, we could stop right there for a while, couldn't we? All you have to do is walk into a store and see children that are disobedient to their parents. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of that, those that are good. Boy, isn't that the truth? Man, you go out and uh, like we do at our church and you do here, we go soul winning. I go to downtown Springfield, Massachusetts. And as uh, soon as you say church, oh yeah, I'll take that. But as soon as you say the name of Jesus, it's, I don't want that. They despise what Jesus stands for today. The world despises that which is good. Verse 4 says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such. What are the next two words? Turn away. Well, just quickly, where it says that they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, you start talking about the Yankees in a bad way and people are going to get upset, are they not? You start talking about certain football teams and people get passionate. I heard two guys arguing, two police officers arguing today about basketball. I wanted to say, fellas, do you realize basketball's been over for a while? Uh, people love pleasure today, do they not? How is it that uh, uh, police officers, firemen, get paid sixty to 80000 a year, but a football player can make millions and millions and millions of dollars? I'll tell you how. We live in a generation that are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, I'm not going to pay a dime to go see a sporting event. I'm going to tell you that right now. Whether you do or not, that's up to you. You know, more power to you. If I enjoy watching sports once in a while. But let me say this. I am not going to miss God's house on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, Anytime the doors are open, if there's a revival, if there's a preaching service, I'm not going to sit at home watching a sporting event. It's time for God's people to wake up and realize this generation is deceived by the pleasures this world offers. We need to get back to that place that we're not deceived. How many of you, uh, if you're like me, I, I read a lot of uh, science articles and just a few years ago, they, you know, they always talk about finding the missing link in evolution. Do you ever, ever see articles like that? And, and uh, they thought back in the 1920s that they had found the quote-unquote missing link, the Piltdown Man, and they actually had 
uh, experts from Oxford University and all the other experts go to the British Museum, and a guy named Dawson had found a jawbone, and they said it was the missing link, and it was in the British Museum for 42 years until they found out it was a complete forgery. Until they found out that Dawson had taken red sienna paint and painted the teeth and put all kinds of things on it to make it appear, and they found out what these uh, scientists had called the missing link, they had been completely deceived, and they all believed it. Hey, listen, when I saw that, I look at Christians and say to us, when we don't have the whole counsel of the Word of God, we can be deceived easily by somebody holding up one Bible verse and saying, I've got the answer, I've got the truth here, great. Let's compare that one truth to the entirety of the Word of God. Let's make sure that, that we're not deceived. Uh, the world likes that. They like the world, likes to be deceived by the world. You know, uh, a, a magazine did an article on the human brain. They said if you transistorize the human brain, that, that it would take as much uh, electrical uh, uh, output as the entire Niagara Falls, that it would take a unit as big as the United Nations building to put it in. And they said as far as the uh, uh, brain, it would take as much electricity as it does to run the state of California for three days. Now, that takes me to Psalm 139, where it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey, I want to tell you tonight, if you're here, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't be deceived by the world that tells you if you're not wearing the latest fashions, if you don't look this way, or you don't look that way, that you're not acceptable. In God's sight, He doesn't look on the outward appearance. How about Samuel? When he came to uh, uh, David's father, Jesse, and he said, uh, God sent me to anoint one of your sons as the next king of Israel. Who did Jesse bring before Samuel? He brought his firstborn, Eliab, didn't he? And what was Samuel's response? He said, surely this is the one because of the height of his stature. And God said, no, I've rejected him. Because man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You know, Jesse thought so little of David that he went through all six sons. And Samuel had to ask Jesse, don't you have any other sons? And Jesse said, yes, I do, but he's out keeping the sheep. He's insignificant. He doesn't matter. Can I tell you the good news tonight? Whether the world thinks that you and I are insignificant and we don't matter, we matter to God tonight. God looks down and He sees the people gathered here tonight and He said, you matter. It doesn't matter if uh, uh, the stadium across town, the Yankee Stadium was full for a game today. God looks down on that and He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Don't be deceived by outward appearance. Secondly... In our passage, look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. Not only don't be deceived, but secondly, there ought to be a difference discerned. 
Look at verse 7. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. Now jump down to verse 13. The Bible says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We need to get to that place. And I, I, You know, when I came in and saw your theme for this year on the bulletin board, digging deeper. Boy, that's the truth. We need that. We need to dig deeper into the Word of God. We need to make sure that we're measuring our Christian growth by what the Bible says and not by what somebody else tells us. We need to make sure... I say this to our church people all the time. If it looks like a duck and it flies like a duck, it quacks like a duck and it swims like a duck, what is it? Thank you. It's probably a duck. If I look like the world, talk like the world, and act like the world, and there's no difference between me and the world, how in the world do I expect the unbeliever to see Christ in me, the hope of glory? There needs to be some Christians, when people look at you, they go, man, they're the ugly duckling. But wait a minute, we know the end of the ugly duckling, don't we? It turned out to be a swan, didn't it? The world looks at us and says, hey, there's their ugly duckling. I don't like that. I don't like that they dress different, they talk different, they act different. But we ought to because the world ought to discern a difference in our lives. Do you know a, a, a pastor can get a little excited about the word of God and people think, wow, he's a fanatic. He's crazy. He's a little bit strange. He's getting too excited in church. We don't like that. But somebody at a ball game, as soon as the Yankees hit one over the left field fence, you'll see people jump to their feet, scream at the top of their lungs, clap, and they're high-fiving people they don't even know. And you think that's normal? That's okay? I think Christians ought to get a little excited about their Christianity. I don't think somebody at a football stadium ought to be more excited about a couple of guys playing with a pigskin on an open pasture, kicking it through some plumbing, and everybody's excited about that, than Christians get excited about the Word of God. There ought to be a difference about us. People ought to see a smile on our face. They ought to see... When people say, well, I'm, I'm going to the beach this weekend, or I'm going to do this. You know what I'm doing this weekend? I'm going to church, and I'm excited about it. Man, why don't you join me? They're going to tell you you're crazy, first of all. But second of all, they're going to say there is something markedly different about them. Because when I go to church, it's boring, and I don't like it. I hear people say that all the time. Pastor, why should I come to your church? The church I go to is boring. I said, well, come find out. It's a little different here. We need to make sure that people can discern that there is a marked difference in our Christianity. There's something different about us. That's one of those marks of maturity. Number three, number three, being delivered. Not only number one, don't be deceived 
Number two, discern a difference. Number three, we need to make sure that not only are we being delivered, but let me ask you this, and don't raise your hand. But if Christ came back tonight, how many people know that they're going to the kingdom of God because you personally took the gospel to them? I want to tell you something. When you and I get to heaven, God's not going to ask you what house you lived in, what car you drove, what job you worked. He's going to ask you if you were obedient to his command. And the last command he left with us, and you don't need to be a Hebrew or Greek scholar, it says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. You ought to have a pocket full of your church tracts, a purse full of your church tracts. Everywhere you go, you ought to be witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. People ought to be delivered because you are making those marks of maturity. You say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm scared to death to witness to people. I got news for you. I've been doing it for 25 years and I'm scared to death every time I go out. But I do it in response to the fact, if God delivered me, how can I not go out and tell other people about him? We need to make sure as Christians, we understand Christ left us a command. He didn't leave us a, a uh, uh, you know, an invitation, if you would like to. I would love to have you go out soul winning. He didn't leave us a, a chart that says, well, if... If it's up to you, when you can fit it in, I'd like you to pass out a few tracts and maybe witness to someone. No, it is a definite command that says, go ye into all the world. Let's make sure in 2 Timothy 3.10, it says this, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer what? Persecution. Now, don't go out tomorrow and try to get yourself persecuted, okay? That is not a mark of maturity, but a mark of maturity is, if you're living for Christ, you are going to get persecuted. When I was working my way through Bible college, I worked at UPS in one of the uh, hubs there and unloading, loading trucks. And uh, they used to call me preacher, and it wasn't a nice term either. They called me the preacher. They made fun of me all the time because they took a stand. Every night that I went into work at 9 o'clock, I'd get out at 4 o'clock in the morning, they would invite me to go to the bar with them. Every single night. Listen to me. If I would have gone to the bar with them at 4 o'clock in the morning, nobody would have known I did it. Nobody would have. But God knows. There needs to be a difference. There was a fellow I worked with there that, that was an unusually uh, uh, obstinate fellow, would I say? His name was Pete. Started, he would use God's name in vain. And by the way, if somebody uses God's name in vain, don't be unkind. 
But you need to be a good enough Christian to say, hey, don't do that around me. I love my Savior. Please don't use His name in vain. And I told that man that, and instead of using God's name, he started putting my name in there and started using my name with profanity. And he thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, I didn't mind that. That just shows me that we're going to be persecuted when we take a stand for Christ. You know, when we try to get signs approved in in the town we live in, uh, in Massachusetts, they don't want to approve signs for the Baptist church. They don't want the Baptist church to have signs out so people can find it. Do you know that if you take a stand for Christ, you don't need to be obnoxious about it? You can be compassionate and take a stand for Christ, but when you do, the Bible says, yea, they that live... Uh, godly in Christ Jesus are going to face some persecution. Man, when it happens, what did Paul say? He said, I rejoiced in it. I was glad to suffer persecution. John Wesley, uh, of the two Wesley brothers, was preaching in a certain town, and as he was traveling back, he got down off of his horse and knelt down beside the path and said, Lord... I haven't been persecuted in a couple of days. Am I, am I not right with you? Am I, am I wrong with you, Lord? And as he was praying passionately, an atheist happened to be walking the other side of the path, heard him praying, picked up a brick, hurled it over top of the, the shrubs there. It landed right beside John Wesley. And John Wesley jumped up and said, Praise God! I'm right with God today. Jumped back on his horse and went to his next preaching meeting. Now listen... Don't go out on the sidewalk and be obnoxious till somebody throws a brick at you. That's not what we're saying. But what I am saying, if you're going to take a stand for Christ and continue growing, the closer you grow to Christ and people see Christ in you, they're going to persecute you because it convicts them. It challenges them. It makes them say, hey... There is something supernatural about this person, Jesus Christ, and I can't uh, argue against it. Not only do we need to be delivered, but last of all, we see in verse 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, maturity described. Maturity described. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked the question. We're going to answer it right here. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Turn to James chapter 1, if you would, tonight. James chapter 1. By the way, uh, when my brothers and I were young, we got a, a Baptist pastor, and we were in a non-denominational church. We got a Baptist pastor. He began to preach things I had never heard in my life. And at 13 years old, I made a decision that I would change my life to match the book, not change the book to match my life. There's too many Christians out there that are searching for a church to match their lifestyle rather than changing their lifestyle to match this Bible. This is an eternal book. It's the Word of God. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And we don't need... uh, uh, 
I explained it to our church like this. You know why there's so many new versions out there? There's the King James Version of the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God. That's the final authority over my life. But if I've got this version, this version, this version, this version, who all of a sudden becomes the authority as to which Word of God is right for my life? Who? I do. I'm the final authority at that point. Now, we need a Word of God that is an every word, preserved Word of God, that's the final authority for faith and practice, because if we don't have that, then all of a sudden you and I become the authority, choosing which version is the Word of God and which one we want for our lives. Maturity means that we're willing to submit ourselves to the Word of God and the authority of God, plus nothing, minus nothing, in all issues of faith and practice. Now, when you go to the doctor, how many of you have been to the doctor? Anybody in here ever been to the doctor? Okay, a few of you are still awake, and I appreciate that. Do you know they did a study... And up to 90% of people that go to doctors never finish their prescription, never do the diet the doctor has given them to do, never follow the doctor's direction. Don't raise your hand if you're guilty of that tonight. But I've been guilty of that. You know, after you take half the medicine, you're feeling better. What do you do? You quit taking it. Do you know your pastor is a spiritual doctor? And he's speaking on behalf of Dr. Jesus. And he's going to give you some spiritual prescriptions. And all of a sudden, when your life is going wrong, some things start going right because you're following the, the spiritual prescription. But then you decide you don't need as much of that spiritual prescription. Can I give you a spiritual prescription? Read your Bible tomorrow morning. Read your Bible tomorrow evening. I'll save you 60 to $80 a month. Shut your cable off. That'll help you out a whole lot. That's free. Didn't cost you anything. It's more important for the Christian to read their Bible and pray than it is for you to find out what's going on with politics. It's more important. You say, oh, this is the, the most pivotal presidential election in years. I want to tell you this. This is the most pivotal life you're going to ever live. And you better live it in the Word of God and on your knees. That's more important. We need to decide as Christians that the prescription that God gives us is to walk with Him and to obey Him. And sometimes that obedience is not comfortable. And most pastors struggle uh, with mentioning tithing. I don't. Because I believe that God makes us a steward over what He gives us. Can I tell you this tonight? And, and, and God doesn't own 10%. God owns 100%. Everything that you have, you have because God gave it to you. Do you know it's not always easy to tithe? Strap your seatbelt on. God doesn't just expect 10%. He mentions tithes and offerings and faith promise to support missionaries. Amen, pastor. I agree with that. We need some Christians that decide, hey, I'm, I don't give because I have to. I give because I want to. 
give back to God more than He's given to me. And I can't outgive Him. You can't outgive God tonight. And it's a good thing. There's not even an offering in the order of service, so you can't get upset about the plates passing. But I want to say to us as Christians tonight, it's time for us to get past this concept that only 10%. I see Christians write out their tithe check right to the penny. And I praise God for that, but I laugh. Man, God's been so good to me. Why am I going to cut God right to the penny? I think God deserves more than that. And by the way, the last time I checked a mark of maturity, my Bible says that I'm supposed to live by faith and not by sight, not by my checkbook, not by my bank account. Marks of maturity is if God writes a prescription for it, I'm going to follow it. But you don't understand, Pastor. I can't pay my rent. I can't pay for my food. I can't pay for everything now. How in the world can I afford to tithe? Can I share something with you? You might be struggling on the maturity scale, but you start taking care of God's business and God's going to take care of your business. We have to decide in our lives. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Can I tell you, if you struggle with staying awake when you're reading your Bible, stand up and walk around but read your Bible. If you struggle with staying awake while you're praying at night, do you know I walk while I pray? Uh, I, I'm not going to get to the place where uh, uh, my, my prayer life means so little that I'm going to get on my knees and fall asleep at the throne of grace. We have to decide as Christians, hey, where do I want to go? How mature do I want to be? I'm thankful that anybody shows up to church anytime. But you know, John 6:66, people were listening to Jesus' message and the Bible says there that many turned and left. They left. You know, I'm glad there are faithful people like you in New York City that haven't left the truth, that love the truth, and are here to hear the truth. But if we're going to do that, then let's share the truth with other people. By the way, Jesus said to the disciples, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, who are we going to go to? Thou hast the words of life. Let's make sure tomorrow morning we get with those words of life. I'll finish with this. Iwo Jima is a very small island. In fact, they say it's only three miles across. Do you know taking Iwo Jima cost 21,000 American lives? They sacrificed their lives. Many of those men's testimonies were... I didn't uh, uh, do it because uh, it was the right thing to do. I didn't do it because of this. I didn't do it because of that. They said I did it because it was my duty to obey the last command that I was given, even though they knew charging forward may cost them their life. What does Ecclesiastes say? It says this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. Hey, I'm not trying to persuade you tonight. I'm just trying to get every Christian to back themselves up to the Word of God and mark the line where your spiritual maturity is and take a step above that.
If a child quits growing, we get concerned. If a plant gets gro- quits growing, we get concerned. If we quit growing, we need to get back to the Word of God and start marking our spiritual maturity and making sure that we're growing. As Romans says, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of who? Jesus Christ. I love the eight-year-old boy. He told his pastor, he said, but pastor, if I invite Jesus into my heart, he's going to stick out all over me. And I want to say to us, if Jesus Christ lives in our heart, he ought to be sticking out of every area of our lives. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around out of respect for other folks here tonight. Be honest with yourself. You say, uh, Pastor, there's a day and a time when I know that I know that I invited Jesus Christ into my heart and life as my Savior. I didn't just do another religious thing. I did what the Word of God said. And I know that if I died right now, not because of me, but in spite of me, by the grace of Jesus and through His blood, I will spend an eternity in heaven. I have confidence of that. Raise your hand as a testimony of that. Thank you tonight. You can put your hands down. Maybe you're here and you do not know that for sure. We won't embarrass you, pick you out, point you out. But I would like to pray for you. Say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? That's me tonight. Just slip your hand up and right back down. Anyone at all? Thank you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Say, Pastor, if I compare my life with 2 Timothy chapter 3, there are some areas that could use some improving, maybe some areas that need growing. Would you pray for me? There's a need in my heart and life. Be honest enough to slip your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over the room. In just a moment, the pianist is going to play. I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. The invitation's a private time. But I'm going to...